0: This is Harsha. And this is Eric. And thank you for joining us for Third Coffee.
1: Yeah, so before we get started, we wanted to quickly talk through what Third Coffee means.
0: So, Eric and I are second year MBA students at the Darden School of Business. And here at Darden, we have a tradition where students, faculty, and the entire community really gather at the school to simply hang out and get to know one another every single day over, you guessed it, coffee.
1: Yeah, it's right after our 8am classes, it's sometimes educational, it's more often casual, and more importantly, it showed us that while yes, the faculty are our professors, they can also be friends and even mentors. The same professors that just cold call you are generally a phone call away for the rest of our lives. That's,
0: That's spot on, Eric. And we wanted to find a way to bring this unique experience to you, our listeners and essentially try and recreate this for our friends, alumni, and the community, and open it up for all those interested in learning more. Technically, we have a second coffee too, but that's less of a tradition.
1: Yeah, so that's it. Third Coffee is a show where Harsh and I speak to some of the finest professors in the world and get to know them through both a personal and an academic lens. On that note, let's get started. All right, cue up our first guest.
0: Our first guest on the inaugural episode of Third Coffee is Professor Yael Grushka Kokaini. Yael is a Professor of Business Administration and Senior Associate Dean of Professional Degree Programs here at Darden. Her research and teaching activities focus on data science, forecasting, project management, and behavioral decision-making. In the words of our students, Yael is an amazing and caring teacher, ally, and friend. And Eric and I are super excited to share our conversation with Yael. All right, Yael. I'm going to ask you the most basic question to begin with. Okay. Since we're at the start of the new year. Yes. What are your new year's resolutions?
2: Oh, geez. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Uh, so one of my New Year's resolutions was to exercise every day. And it's the 12th uh, day of January and I've already not exercised four out of those 12 days. So I've already broken my New Year's resolution by not exercising every day, <laughs> but um, I will get on a better better trajectory. But um, I'm looking to challenge myself um, on the exercise side because I last year that really helped me throughout 2020 um having my running and having some goals throughout the year um it was i got to run a lot with my with my husband and it was something i really enjoyed doing with friends and i did i did a lot of running in cambridge before we moved back to charlottesville and it was a way to get back into charlottesville and integrate and now we've been using running to go out and see lots of like charlottesville locations and run in the in the the county and so it's been a real source of energy and so a lot of my New Year's resolutions are around running and, and, and staying fit and, um, and, and enjoying that. New Year's resolutions around um, just being, uh, you know, happy and in the moment and, and focused on the, the good things in my life and not so much letting myself stress about uh, things that I'm worried about, trying to kind of keep those worries at bay and focus on on the positives and the upsides. And that's been really really important again for 2020. And I have a feeling it's going to be very helpful for 2021 and hopefully get home to Israel this year. But that's, uh, that's not so much a resolution as a wishful, uh, a, a wish that I, that I, I pray for. So.
0: On that note, something that you often talk about and you've mentioned this previously to us as well is basically who you've surrounded yourself with and where you've been. There's this, I think it's like your superhero, uh, like it's like your superpower actually that's the right word like this whole duality right son daughter cat dog um Israel United States uh Darden Howard although I don't know how much how, how what do you feel about that but tell us more about how important that whole duality aspect is to you and your life
2: uh it's really interesting observation Harsh I, I I've thought about it in us uh, not exactly those terms. Um, I'm a Gemini. So um, uh, Gemini's are all about, uh, uh, you know, a dual identity or two parts of our identity, um, you know, the twins. Um, And so as a Gemini, I often have in my life, um, had two sides to myself, two sides to my life, two parts. Um, Maybe I always need, yeah, two, two streams in my life to kind of feel content. Um, And maybe there are a lot of parallelism, parallel uh, kind of entities around me. So I, you know, a dog, a cat, as you point out, a son and a daughter, a family here and a family uh, in Israel, or so having a home here and a home in Israel. Uh, I, While I was at Harvard, I very much stayed connected in part of Darden. And, and so it was always like I had two two entities. Um, and I think, I think it keeps me balanced. I think I like to compartmentalize. And so I like having Ah, uh, different things on the go. Um, it, it, it's maybe because from a very young age, I was constantly traveling. So I was born between the age of zero and four. I was back and forth between the u s and Israel four times. So I was born here. I moved there. I moved back, I moved there. So I was like, my dad was Israeli. My mom's American. You know, we have I have this dual uh, thing going on uh, all my life, and it's it's what I'm used to, and, and I kind of like it. So,
0: um, yeah. I just want to quickly say we have a dual thing going on between me and Eric oh, over man. here as well. What, well
2: what, what is the yin and yang between the two
0: of you? Um, it's still a work in progress, I think. I don't know. Eric?
1: I, well, the first thing I thought of, we need to make Harsha a dual citizen. That's, that's number one. That's, that's our project. That's one of my <laughs> projects, actually, for 2021. Yeah. Is, is to get him here long term. But I digress. Anyway, all right, Yael, this is a question that we always ask, and that is, what is your most memorable coffee story?
2: Um, so first, I, I mean, the obvious one that comes to mind that most people who know me personally would say, and I hope it's okay to go personal, but um, uh, I met my husband at a coffee shop. So I was, <laughs> I guess that's not... That's not so much of a, it's a little bit of a cliche, but we were living in San Francisco and um, I was living on my own in San Francisco and he was living in San Francisco uh, for several years uh, prior. And we, I happened to go to a coffee shop after on a Saturday morning after being at the gym and I was asking the table next to me for something and they were giving me a really hard time. And uh, you know, I was d- dressed in my sweats and, you know, like clearly kind of post uh, exercise and, and they were really winding me up. And it turned out they were laughing and they had a good sense of humor. And um, I gave them my number and I said, oh, I'm from Israel. I'm here on my own. I would love to hang out. They were British. Um, and I never heard back from them again. <laughs> and then a few weeks later, I went to the same coffee shop, which is why it's such a coffee shop story. A couple weeks later on my way to work. And I bumped into one of the, uh, the, the women that were at the table and she said, oh, you gave us your number. You gave us the wrong number and we really wanted to hang out with you, but it was the wrong number. So I gave her my business card saying, oh, I was expecting your call and I never heard back from them. Uh, six months later, six months uh, later, um, I heard back in an, an email from uh, this guy called Simon and he said, we met you six months ago. You gave us the number. It was wrong. You gave my friend your business card. I lost it um i wonder if you're still around and i I replied immediately i said i remember you you were funny six months ago and um (laughs) and then we ended up uh indeed uh going out for um our first date um yesterday that would have been 19 years ago um as of yesterday and that was it Um, so
1: wow that that's honestly the best story we've heard yeah (laughs) That won't be topped. That could almost, you could, yeah. Romantic comedy could be commissioned from that. For sure. Yeah.
2: And I'll share share a little funny, another uh, very funny anecdote. And I promise I didn't plan this, but um, in the same coffee shop in San Francisco, Cafe Sapore, I also bumped into Steven Tyler from Aerosmith one night. So, you know, you know, know? (laughs) and I will say for the record that I chose to highlight my husband before him. So, you know. (laughs)
1: Ah, see, now I get it. What, you, what you're really telling us is you frequented the, the most interesting coffee shop in the world. Um, but with that being said, we're going to transition to our next segment, uh, which we are calling High Caffeine. Yes, I paused to say that. We're still workshopping it. Bear with us. But we are going to cruise through some quick icebreakers in this segment. Okay, we are going to start simple. What is the first thing you're going to do when the pandemic ends?
2: Ooh, go to the movies or go and watch a musical.
1: Okay. That was no doubt. <laughs> um, okay. This one is catered specifically for you. What is one reoccurring misconception or fallacy in news headlines that particularly makes you angry as a data scientist?
2: So I think that lo- oftentimes, uh, A recent one, and one that's very apparent in in recent years, is an overemphasis of uh, or an interpretation of probability as a sure thing. So Mm -hmm. when they see and they report on, let's say, a 75 percent or 80 percent or 90 percent chance of somebody winning the election and then the other side wins, they rule it as a uh, mistake and they criticize the forecast where you know, even with a 90% uh, forecast, there's 10% chance that things happen the opposite direction. And from one instance, we cannot draw conclusions. It's only after many, many instances that we can accumulate enough information to understand if the forecast was off. And so I think that sometimes in the popular press, you see a lot, a a heavy anchoring on one piece of data and not enough of a, you know, appreciation for, for more of a statistical perspective.
1: Yeah. Wow. I mean, we live in a world with a lot less certainty than we might think or like. So I know personally uh, keep that perspective of viewing things as probabilities in mind. But anyway, next question. This is the one everyone's been waiting for. Who has the superior shoe collection? You or Elena?
2: Oh, definitely me. I mean, Elena, even Elena would admit it. I love her to bits and she has a great shoe collection, but you know that I have this one in the bag.
1: <laughs> okay. Related over or under 30 shoes in your closet.
2: Oh, way over.
1: Over under 50. Over. Oh Lord. Over under 70.
2: Uh, probably about 70.
1: <sighs> That's terrifying. Okay. <laughs> um, fastest mile time.
2: Fastest mile time. Um, So I have my fastest.
1: Or your fastest run distance of choice.
2: Ten. Thank you. Thank you for the flexibility. (laughs) You're very kind. We'll
1: paint you in a positive light. Yes,
2: thank you. Um, My record for 10K this summer that I set uh, was 755 per mile. So seven minutes, 55 per mile. So I did the whole thing in uh, whatever it was, sub 50 minutes.
1: Whew. okay i can contextualize that based on a 5k that's burning it up yeah
2: yeah so it's seven yeah seven seven minutes and 55 seconds and then for a half marathon 13 miles i did eight 11 so eight minutes 11 wow. those were my uh, records this summer
1: yeah will take it wow okay harsha flipping to you
0: okay well this question might have a right answer and eric and i might know this right answer
2: <laughs> <laughs> no pressure harsha <laughs>
0: Best section at Darden.
2: Oh, B. For sure, B.
0: Ah! <laughs> ah
1: wrong answer! <laughs> can, you just, can you just say the word D?
0: <laughs> oh, no way.
1: Can you say the word D and we'll insert that in?
0: Well, first, I, had, I,
2: yeah, <laughs> I cannot... I can say D. You know, I do have... I actually do have a cup with a D uh, koozie in my office. So I do have some D uh, flair in my office. I have a D t-shirt that a few generations ago, they gave me a D t-shirt. So, and I have a D nickname as well. (laughs) My D nickname is pocket Hercules. Um, They they made all the faculty t-shirts with a a secret, like, you know, superpower name. And so mine was pocket Hercules.
0: You have a lot of superpowers. Yeah. (laughs) Like as we've learned today. (laughs) Okay. Next question. Food that you wish was available in the United States.
2: Oh, Oh my goodness. Um, It's going to be probably Israeli food that I cannot get here. Um, You can get a lot of it here these days, but not all of it. Um, There's like a, you know, like a type of, it's not quite a pretzel. It's softer than a pretzel. It's called the begave that you can buy, like in the old city of Jerusalem, that you dip in zato. You can't really get that here. I mean, most of the Israeli food is just amazing and you can't get a lot of it here. Good falafel, good shawarma. Um, yeah, those, those are probably top of mind for me.
0: So what you're saying is you're going to take us on the DWC to Israel soon. Oh,
2: I've, yes. I mean, I've taken a group. Uh, the last group I took was in 2018 um, and it was incredible. And they still go to eat. We did a falafel. We did a hummus competition after we came back. So they had to all make their own hummus. And they still all post in our WhatsApp group pictures of them eating in Israeli restaurants around the US. So it's, uh, it's definitely, yes. once you taste it, once you eat Israeli food, you really struggle to let it go.
0: All right. Um, two more questions. Master's in business administration or master's in data science?
2: Oh, uh, master's in business administration with some data science courses. Um, oh, hedging, hedging. <laughs> i think getting an mba with analytical capability is is a really winning um winning recipe out there
0: today we'll make sure all the prospective students listen to this (laughs) and, and make make note of this um all right ashley i have two more questions first one um if you had to pick one fashion week or data science conference
2: data science conference
0: oh Yay. Okay. <laughs> um, last one. 3D printed fashion or old school fashion?
2: Old school fashion. Why? <laughs> um,
0: I'm curious uh, now. Like
2: have you seen um, you know some of the period dramas? I don't know if you've watched any of the period dramas on Netflix. Um,
0: Bridgerton is that? Yes. The
2: one? Yes, for instance, Bridgerton yeah. that's a good one. I mean, oh my goodness, the beauty of those designs and the fabrics and the, the it's just, you know, I love to touch it and, 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 you know, experiment with it. I don't know, the 3D thing doesn't totally, uh, you know, appeal to me yet. I've had shoes that I think were, you know, made by 3D printers or at least part of them, the sole was made by, I don't know if I totally budge. I'm totally on that, that wagon quite yet.
1: We'll, we'll let the Jenners and the Kardashians of the world be the the guinea pigs for those <laughs> exactly
2: exactly it suits them better
0: so we're going to move into the more academic segment where we explore some of our professors research and other topics of interest and essentially try to break them down for you and in the spirit of coming up with fun coffee puns this one's called the long pour. Eddie, why did you kick us off? Too.
1: Okay, Yael, you alluded to the struggle to conceptualize uncertainty in our prior segment. Um, so I want to start there. Basically, how can we improve or have a more objective or probability-oriented perspective on the world?
2: One big misnomer is that we can do, we can think about uncertainty and probabilities, and even you know data science or analytics in an objective manner. Uh, we have to come to the recognition, and it's really important that at some point, a lot of what we do is going to have some subjective sense to it. It might not be fully subjective when we can inform our 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 um, you know our mind with data but the subjectivity is not gonna go away. You know, you're still interpreting the data. You're still the one making the call and calling the shots and, and, and putting a number at the end of the day. And so there's gonna be a subjective nature to almost any kind of assessment of, of risk or uncertainty in the future. And once we get come to terms with that, I think it will help us because you, you're, you're never gonna take a human, put them into a ro- you know, robotic mode or mechanical mode where they're producing mm-hmm. something that is totally seemingly objective. And don't get me started there, too, because even the machine learning algorithm is never going to be totally objective because it will be based on the data that goes in. So data goes in, there's biases in the data. So even the machine learning algorithm that produces predictions for the future is going to have some some subjectivity that comes from the patterns that it was given um, upon input you asked how we can improve or how we can maybe avoid some fallacies and how we can think about probabilities in perhaps a more mature and sophisticated way, or at least this is how I'm gonna interpret your question if that's okay. Um, And one thing um, that has become really popular in recent years, Eric, and is a fascinating area of research that um, some folks have been uh, doing, especially out of um, the Max Planck Institute in Germany is around, the wisdom of crowd within one's mind. So how can, some, how can we as individuals um, invoke multiple perspectives just by ourselves Um, in order to enrich our set of possibilities as we think about the future. So the wisdom of the crowd, uh, one of the reasons that we consult with a crowd is to get multiple perspectives. We want diversity of perspective, we want independent thinkers, we want um, uh, decentralized approaches for, for collecting information, and then we want to aggregate it in some mechanism that everybody trusts to produce something that is superior. That's like at the heart of what Siriwaki published as the wisdom of the crowd. There's a mechanism by which we can benefit from multiple opinions. But in many, many instances, the people who are making predictions are on their own. I'm making a forecast around you know, uh, my chance of getting home without running out of gas, or I'm making the, my forecast um, about um, the chance of it raining tomorrow. So I make sure I don't wear, you know my really expensive suede shoes, right? So I'm making forecasts on my own. I can consult with um, with certain uh, sources but sometimes I'm really making a forecast without being able to consult. And I need to come to a conclusion and make a decision using probability estimates in my mind. How can I ask myself a series of questions to trigger different, um, you know, recall recall different instances, trigger different thoughts, to try and create a diversity of perspectives in my own mind to open myself up to more possibilities. Because if I think about more possible futures and I almost do like a little bit of scenario planning, I will be less anchored on one future and I will um, give myself a little bit more of a, a spectrum. And so um, that's a really interesting line of research. And it's been shown that you can improve your forecasting capability by provoking that wisdom of the crowd from within uh, and allowing your brain to be, um, to generate more possibilities. Um, so,
0: Just to stay on the topic of wisdom of crowds in one's mind. And this goes back to that Nate Silver article on the 2016 election that you shared with us, Yael. And we'll add that in the show notes, but specifically, Right now, if I want to know an opinion on politics or news, and given how little time I have, I basically say, here's 10 people I follow, who do I trust? What is that person saying? And then move on. I still think it's really hard to move away from that mindset in day to day life.
2: So it's really interesting, Harsha, and, and, and um, you described what I would say, and, you know, science or researchers from, from uh, Fuqua, from Duke University, so Jack Sol and Rick Lerick, call what you just described chasing the expert, meaning you're gonna find that one person you trust and you're gonna chase and use their opinion moving forward, right? And that might be good and serve you well until it doesn't, okay? And so the question is, what are the implications of that expert leading you astray? And under which circumstances do you tend to trust a single expert versus utilize a crowd? And you might, I think that um, I can convince you that there are very natural circumstances where you are more likely to go with a crowd versus a single expert. And let me tell you, let me give you a little bit more uh, context to that. You said there's somebody on Twitter that you trust more than others, meaning that others have not exhibited a superior or even, you know, a vast or enough of a variety of of expertise that one individual stands out, meaning that there is a high dispersion of expertise. There is one expert, and then there's a bunch of other people who are not that, not, not that expert. They might even heard meaning one person is the expert and then 20 people retweet the same thing that individual said but they have not crafted their own narrative so they're basically hurting to that one individual so of course that one individual is going to shine and you're going to go with that one expert but in many circumstances you're going to see yourself that there is fluctuation your expert is good today, but not that good tomorrow. They win some, they lose some. They uh, make some good predictions, but you don't really over-index on them. Why? Because you see that they're as likely you know, to fall on their face and some other individual shine. So for instance, I don't know if this is the case for you, but um, you know, I consult at least two weather apps on my phone, okay? Um, When I look at uh, Oscar, I I love movies. So, and I um, routinely follow, you know, like the the movie world. When I think about Oscar forecasting and Oscars and, and the Academy Awards, I never just read one review. I read multiple because I know history tells me that even my favorite critic is wrong very often, and it's a little bit of a crapshoot. So if I put multiple perspectives together and I see a trend, then I'm probably more likely to be right when I do my own forecasting competition around who's gonna win the Oscars. And so in those circumstances, my experience tells me that there isn't really one person that is much, much better than the others, but there's a bunch of folks, maybe you know, five, 10 experts, movie critics. I go to the New York Times, I go to the Observer, I go to all kinds of websites that I trust um, and I combine their opinions because it's it's clear to me that nobody knows much more than the other and they're all pretty good. And so those, those are situations where you're naturally drawn to average and use the wisdom of the crowd, and you're not going to over-index on one expert. So it's probably intuitive in your mind. You just don't even notice it.
1: Well, that's, that's reassuring at least. Um, but okay, let's say I'm no longer chasing the expert, and as an in individual or organization, I'm ready to embrace the wisdom of the crowds. Can you walk through how we properly use this principle? And basically avoid what I'll call in this situation, it's evil stepbrother, um, which is groupthink.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So you want to foster diversity. So you want a diverse crowd. You want, and when I say diversity, uh, again, I need to expand. Diversity in all the obvious ways that you would think about diversity, but. Uh, specifically that that diversity diversity leads to a diversity of opinions with regard to the forecast that you're trying to to, to learn about, okay? So they have different perspectives. They have different information. They have different, what we call maybe private information which is, you know, I've gone to a few games of a team. You've gone to a different set of games for, of a team and we, we've we seen them play other competitors. So now when we're forecasting what's gonna happen to the new game that we're trying to evaluate the outcome of we have different information. I mm-hmm. saw UVA play, um, uh, you know, in the final four uh, a uh, couple years ago. Um, So I've seen them in a highly stressful environment in the final four in Minneapolis. You may have seen them here in Charlottesville. We've seen them under different circumstances. It will be beneficial to put your information together with my information when we're forming something about UVA's basketball performance, uh, team's performance uh, in their next game. So you want diversity of of opinions.
1: So that's condition number one. That's condition
2: number one. And in order to benefit from that diversity of opinions, you want a decentralized Uh, approach to collecting the information you want people to submit their forecasts again to avoid group thing you don't want people to come together you want them to have an independent approach so they each submit their forecast independently they're not consulting with each other because that's where your uh you call the group thing but that's where some of that diversity will get lost if they start to share and they all heard again around one number. I want them to not do that. I want to hear from them their various perspectives in the most independent and decentralized way.
1: Do you think independence, I read, we read this one and our thought was that is becoming increasingly difficult in an era where we're connected constantly.
2: It is really hard. Um, One way to think about independence is under the header of like anonymity. So you help people preserve their independence when they don't care as much about, or when they're not influenced by others. And I'm not gonna be influenced by what you think if you don't know my forecast, right? So if I give it Mm -hmm. to you under some kind of anonymity, if there's a mechanism that keeps our forecasts anonymous, then it's going to help us preserve that independence because we're not going to be as influenced. We're not worried about looking silly or looking stupid or looking, you know, as far away from reality. Like we're not worried about the outcome in that way. And so we're very much free to put in a forecast that is genuine and that is, or, or even if we want to game it, that's our own business, but um, it's really something that doesn't, it, it, it really helps preserve that independence and it prevents that groupthink because you have a mechanism in which the, the forecasts are not af- affecting each other, okay? So there are mechanisms that you can utilize to operationalize it, that you can get that independence and hype that independence, okay? But again, it really depends on the task that you're trying to accomplish, right? What is it that you're trying to achieve, okay? In, in those circumstances, the diversity, the independence, the decentralization helps you get as close as possible to the underlying truth.
1: Got it. Okay. So if I'm going to tie this all together in my head, um, wisdom of the crowds is effective. That's clearly true. Um, But only if those four conditions you just mentioned, diversity of opinion, independence, decentralization, and aggregation are all satisfied. Got it. So actually, trying to
0: contextualize what Eric just summarized for us, the one thing that's obviously on top of everyone's mind right now is the COVID vaccine. And I reckon that the vaccine development was a good example to show the effectiveness of satisfying these four conditions. Can you throw some light on how successful this approach actually was?
2: So um, let me uh, give you a couple of examples uh, with related, with regards to COVID, one on vaccine, but also if I can go a bit back before the vaccine, um, one thing that was interesting in the spring related to COVID is, um, I don't know if you guys remember, it seems like this has been a very long year, but... Um, around April and May, the the popular press and newspapers were filled with with curves. Right, everybody was making predictions, um, predictions of number of cases, predictions of casualties, um, and 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 cones of like the uncertainty. Where is it going to go? Is it going to? Are we going to be able to flatten the curve? Not flatten the curve. Um, There were a lot of models that were being proposed in in the popular press um, from various sources, and each model had a different trajectory, and um, each model was based on certain assumptions by using different techniques and models, and the experts that build those models were different, different institutions, Um, and uh, they were constantly, you know, there was a lot of, you know, back and forth in the press around which model did better. Most of them, all of them did badly. Um, and so there was some critique around how poorly these models were performing. What was interesting is that when you combine these, all these models together to form what's called an ensemble, ensemble is from, you know, from ensembling, from combining, it's an aggregate, it's a wisdom of the crowds kind of idea where you take multiple models, multiple predictions and combine them into one, you aggregate them in some way. When you created an ensemble model, it was shown and proven to be much better than the individual models that were in it. Mm. And here's a great example of the use of the wisdom of the crowd. These are diverse set of opinions. Why are they diverse? Because the models were different, like by nature, or mathematically and scientifically, if you get uh, inside each of the, the models and how they were built by the experts, they were different. They use different assumptions, they use different data, they used different formulas. Um, so there were different models making different forecasts independently. Every research institution that was part of those ensembles wanted to protect their reputation. They were doing it on their own to, to you know, share with the world their, their opinion of where things are gonna go. Yeah. They were decentralized. It wasn't one person organizing it. It was everybody publishing for themselves and, and, and in sci- very scientific way, you know, parallel, parallel streams of uh, academics and scientists working to, to come up with their own predictions. And then it was aggregated in this ensemble and yielded superior forecasts. So that, w- that was a great example of how the wisdom of the crowd plays out. Um, and in the vaccine development process, we've seen the same. Um, there you have also some kind of, there's a, also an, an additional incentive around uh, speed to market uh, mm. for sure. Um, but the fact that all of these various organizations, uh, private, uh, you know, private and public partnerships between different pharmaceutical companies um, and, and smaller biotech companies uh, worked independently to kind of come up with their solutions was really very helpful. Um, and again, there the task is slightly different. So I wouldn't, look for the same principles as much, Mm. but there we still benefited from the parallel processing and from the desire and from the, you know, the progression that was occurring in parallel by the crowd of, uh, of independent agents working on trying to complete this task.
1: Yeah, Um, that's the, that's the nuances. The COVID tracking wisdom of crowds is used for a forecast Then in the vaccine development, wisdom of crowds also useful for developing a product for new product
2: development exactly right new product development you're trying to get to those tails new product development you want those tails you want those extreme events you want those brilliant um uh you know innovations that come out of expanding your horizon diverging your innovation processes design thinking 101 you want to diverge as much you want that's why you consult with many many people when you start the process of, of development to get those extreme solutions Uh, wisdom of the crowd and forecasting. Actually, you're looking for an average most often. You want the central tendency by taking multiple extreme opinions and getting them as close to the truth as possible.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And you you want a lot of shots on goal, I guess would be the term, or you need a lot of dice rolls to roll triple sixes and get that tail result, which is why every biotech company, every pharma company was solicited.
0: So when we when we graduate out of business school and hopefully become leaders and all of that, all of the incentive structures will actually define how we react to Very particular so. situations. Yeah. And while we know that the wisdom of crowds makes sense and I've experienced this previously, there's my manager sitting at the end of the table and he was the expert on the team. All of the wisdom of the crowd couldn't probably change his mind, right? So what I'm trying to unpack here is this makes sense in theory, but unless there's a framework for us to fall back on, it's kind of hard to do in practice. Yeah.
2: Look, it, I think it's also about um, there is a sense for experimentation and constant um, testing and and to check things out. And what do I mean by that? Imagine I like where you're going with this. Um, when you guys graduate and you have your you know your first, your second, your third job out there, and you really uh, you know, climbing the ladder and doing really well and you want to preserve your, your your professionalism and indeed you're the expert or the senior person in the room says something about a forecast or, or makes an, an, an assessment of an uncertainty in the future, like future sales or what the company's going to do next year. Who are you to stand up and say, hmm, I don't trust you. Let's get more opinions. Like it does sound yeah. really hard to do in practice. And so the question becomes, how do you uh, twist it so it becomes a joint effort on behalf of you and that, you know, and your superior to work together to investigate, actually in that setting, how can, he bene- how can he become even wiser and benefit from a crowd around him? Is there a crowd of opinions? Is there enough diversity in the organization to find information that they've never known of before, okay? Um, I think Netflix, tells the story of if you read uh, uh, you know the book that in Netflix history there's often been the case where if they've listened to extreme opinions and they've gone with different perspectives they've really benefited from you know from that wisdom because The leaders thought one thing was going in one direction, whereas the employees had a very different perspective, be that about streaming or be that about other products or be that about the algorithm, the the, the way that they can serve algorithms. They are number one in terms of examples of how to utilize a crowd, including the Netflix prize that really changed the way that at the time their algorithm for our recommendations was being done because mm-hmm. they seek the ver- they seek the naysayers they seek the contrary information they seek the pieces of information that would open their mind to give them evidence that is otherwise and so if you're in that situation you probably want to encourage your manager to think differently and not to consult with other people because you don't trust him but say can we find more information is there more knowledge in the organization that we haven't utilized until now Can we run a horse race? Can we run an experiment? Can we, you know, challenge ourselves to think, uh, to find a naysayer in the room, to give another perspective. And if we track it over enough instances, will we all benefit from it? Right. Will we surprise ourselves? Um, So there's a lot to be said around um, uh, experimental mindset and trying to test these things out in practice. If everybody that you turn around to says the same thing that the superior manager just forecasted then you're not going to get anything you're not going to benefit at all but if you say let's do something crazy and let's go and ask you know the salespeople without prompting them for anything let's ask for their opinions let's ask the marketing people let's ask the manufacturing let's ask the engineers and get a bunch of opinions and you know you've learned something new i think that you will all be inspired
0: wow i think there's a lot to think about over there (laughs) like that Again, that segment, you're just dropping wisdom. Yeah, this is incredible. Like, I'm enjoying <laughs> this conversation so much.
1: Yeah, I, yeah was not, I wasn't thinking about it in that context. I was thinking about it purely from forecasting. So that's...
2: Well, in, in, in many cases, um, prediction takes many forms, right? Sometimes it's just a number, like what's going to happen right. to the stock market or what's going to happen to GDP or, you know, which, how much is a sports team going to score? But um, in other instances, a forecast could be about a product line or the market, or you know where things are going in terms of you know streaming versus mail service. like there's there's different forecasts that are very important for companies, and uh, again, the use of crowds can be proven to to be beneficial in in many of those cases.
0: Got it. Again, That was incredible, yeah. Thank you. So we just want to end this segment, and before we do that, we wanted to ask you one question. And that is what motivates you to pursue this line of research and why do you enjoy it so much?
2: Well, maybe I'll just give uh, and maybe uh, maybe this is obvious and it'll sound a little bit preachy. But, you know, one reason that I enjoy this line of research is that I can constantly advocate for diversity. So it's really nice to have a, a mathematical and a statistical reason to advocate for the need for diversity of opinions, which is again, beyond any arguments of like equality and and gender parity and other things that I'm passionate around for other reasons or, you know, for just uh, personal reasons and and my view of professionalism, but uh, from a very, you know, mathematical and statistical sense, diversity of opinion benefits, uh, the crowd benefits from diversity of opinion and the forecast that you get is superior and firms can advance their business substantially by having more diverse opinions. And so the fact that you can prove it is really nice in my mind. And the fact that you can advocate for diversity of opinions, which is not necessarily demographics and it's not necessarily uh, um, other attributes that we typically gravitate towards, but really saying, how do I put, you know, bring together a group of individuals who think differently, who have different perspectives, who have different experiences, who have different knowledge. Because if I surround myself by those types of individuals, ultimately we together will do better. And so um, I find that very appealing in this line of work. I find that reassuring. I like to advocate for utilizing more opinions than than less. and finding ways in which it preserves everybody's um, incentive to participate. So that's something that I'm passionate about, and it works really well with this line of research.
1: We're going to finish with fun, yeah. yeah. Yay! Hopefully fun.
2: Because that wasn't fun, Eric? Is that
1: what you're saying? Uh, Okay. 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 Um, Anyway, we are going to transition to our next segment, which is called filtered or unfiltered.
0: I I, I can't believe we're calling it that.
1: (laughs) Um, I
2: love it. I love it. Which
1: which essentially, I'm going to read out three news stories. After each news story, just you let me know if it's fact or fiction. And Harsh is also going to play along.
2: Okay, go for um, it.
1: So any combination, all might be fact, all might be fiction, or some combination thereof.
2: Oh, you're not even telling me if there's one out of three. Okay. No, nope.
1: no, of course not. Um, <laughs> one, that right, SP, two, that right, HB, three, that right, DP. Okay, these have a fashion bent and a COVID bent. Okay. So, news story number one. Jimmy Choo collaborates with Timberland in a new collection of footwear. Chu, the British high fashion label known for their strappy stilettos, has decided to dip their toe into a different aesthetic for their most recent collection, an unlikely, unlikely partnership with Timberlands, a brand known for their outdoorsy boots and emphasis on sensibility over style. I love getting together with different creative minds to create a beautiful and surprising product, says Sandra Choi, creative director of Chu. I would say that you, two could wear this hip new look for the low price of $5,500, but unfortunately, they're already all sold out. Fiction. Jimmy
0: Choo and Timberland. <laughs> Fiction.
1: Okay. The next one,
2: Oh, next, you don't even tell us <laughs> if we were right or wrong.
1: <laughs> the next news story is... A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, or at least that's what a German bake- bakery is betting on in 2021. This Dortmund-based bakery is rolling out picture-perfect syringe-shaped cakes. <laughs> and it's not the first time that the bakery has sold coronavirus spinoff items. Last year, as household products vanished from supermarket shelves, they also created cakes shaped like toilet rolls. Okay. The owner says, first, we were a bit skeptical whether it would be a bit too macabre, but then we did it after all, because even for anti-vaxxers, it's funny. It's a vaccine without any side effects. (laughs) Fact or fiction?
2: I will say fact.
0: I'm going to say fact,
1: 100%. Oh, come on, Harsha. That's the second time you've copied Yael's answer. Um, But next news story, Muccia Prada, the Italian billionaire, fashion designer, and founder of Prada, may be expanding her business once again. While you've heard of her brand Mew Mew, the subsidiary of Prada, have you heard the rumors of Meow Meow? It started in 2019 after fashion icon Karl Lagerfeld's funeral. Muccio was asked to design a KOTOR look for Show Pet, Lagerfeld Berman's cat. The designer had so much fun with the project that she is now taking commissions for only the finest felines next in line rumor says the honor belongs to taylor swift's cat olivia benson
2: <laughs> is that really her name of her cat olivia benson yes that's pretty funny actually i'm a big svu fan um i would say that this is fiction although my daughter would love for it to be true because she loves our cat i would say that this is fiction
0: I'm gonna say fiction. That's. How <laughs> that you say
2: everything I say? <laughs> no,
0: but like I, I, I want, I want to be the contrarian here, but I can't. Like that's such, that's such a huge connection. Like, yeah, I, I have a feeling that's actually gonna be true. But I'm so say, say true. <laughs> uh, okay, fine. I'm gonna. Can I switch? Can I? Yeah, switch? yeah.
1: Okay. I'm gonna say fact. Okay. Okay. Give it to us. Final tally. The Jimmy Choo, Timberland collaboration. That is fact. What? So, <laughs> Zero, zero, Yael and Harsha.
2: Great. Uh, and, and about shoes? Geez, I'm never
1: going <laughs> to. Um, okay, the next story about the Dortmund Bakery making syringe-shaped cakes. That is fact. Yes. Yay. Ding, ding, ding. We got that. 1-1, one, one. and now this will be the tiebreaker. <laughs> The okay. high fashion cat apparel line, meow, meow. That is uh, fiction.
0: No. Yeah! <laughs> I got thank you. Woo! I so Yael, Yael, you Yael that, yeah. triumphs. Yeah, thank
1: you. <laughs> Yael, you get two out of three. You get an HP.
2: HP, I'll take it.
1: Harsha, one out of three. You get the standard pass, my friend.
0: No so problem.
1: <laughs> All right, last segment. And you know what
0: this question is going to be. This is about the music.
2: Right. Okay. Oops. Okay.
0: So, I, forgot,
2: I forgot this was coming. Even this, is, have- this
0: is the last bit. This is how we end the podcast and we, we gradually fade out into this beautiful song that you choose. Okay, here we go. If you had to pick one song that describes you or what's in your heart, what song would that be?
2: Oh, my goodness. Okay, it's not a favorite song. You're really being specific that the song has to describe me or what's in my heart, right? Yeah. Um, Well, I'm a huge Depeche Mode fan, so I really struggle to go away from Depeche Mode. Again, even though, you know, I love musicals and so on, and and I listen to a lot of varied music, but... um, it's really hard for me to say anything but Depeche Mode, uh, really, when I'm asked about music. So it's going to have to be a Depeche Mode song. A lot of people like enjoy the silence. I think nobody's really enjoying the silence these days with all the um, <laughs> solitary, you know, solitude and and quarantining. So I will not go for that one. Um, Route sixty six is a good Depeche Mode fan about traveling in the U S. Which you know maybe uh, is hopeful, wishful thinking for um, or travel days to commence. Um, personal Jesus is one of, you know, is something that I often sing to myself in my head. (laughs) Um, yeah, those are probably some of my, some of top of my mind songs. So can you use any of that?
0: I can. Well, we'll, okay. we'll be flexible. We're like, we're, we're nice. Do you, do, you
2: like, do you know Depeche Mode? Do you like Depeche Mode?
0: I'm honestly, I only heard it when I was probably eight years old on TV back in India, but I've never heard it after that. Let
2: <laughs> That's know. fair. They're, they're, they're an eighties band. I mean, I mean, they're still around. They perform. I took Yorgos. Yorgos joined me to see them live in DC a few years ago. <laughs> wow. So they're, they're still live and kicking and, and us fans love them very much, but indeed they're like eighties fans. So. 80s band
1: why why the song was it personal jesus
2: um first it's a great song from a melody perspective but there's also a lot about like you know how do we you know how do we interpret our faith and how do we have our own faith whatever faith that is that you follow but um finding your own internal faith and following that and and drawing upon that when you need to i i'm a strong believer in that i find myself you know reflecting internally as much as as consulting with others uh um you know talking about wisdom of crowds, but i also go deep down into myself and think about my own you know um personal trajectory and and how i find faith so um yeah it's That's just something perfect. that i like to to think to myself about and sing in my head so
0: Yeah, this was this is honestly incredible. Yeah,
1: we cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
2: My pleasure. My pleasure. Hey.